morning, of course, to you and to all of those that are watching from our online campus, maybe from one of our campuses here in Austin. And then we also have 13 campuses located in 13 correctional facilities. We say that you guys are our VIPs because you know what? You guys are hungry, you're thirsty, and you know you need God. And some of the greatest days of your life sometimes are not in the easy places they're in the hard places. And then, of course, we want to welcome those that are in Mozambique and our Italy campus. And we've got a lot of churches connecting to us now in Europe, and it's just an honor to be with you as well. Come on, Celebration Church, let's give it all up for everybody joining us today. How many are going to be watching Texas play a little basketball today? Let me see your hand. And uh, you should have come to the second service. I'll just be honest with you. And uh, I'm going to go, Lori and I are actually going to have to get on a plane at, at 2 o'clock. We've got to be on a flight at 2 on our way to New York. So you guys should have come. You would have had your first 50-minute service in the history of 22 years of ministry. You blew it. But uh, on a serious note, Lori and I, I mentioned it last week, one of our members in our church, John Magnus, a 1986 graduate of West Point, while climbing a mountain to raise money for fallen soldiers uh, for the Johnny Mac Fund, which is a fund that goes to helping uh, deceased families or families who have lost a loved one in war or serving our country, educating their sons and their daughters. He was climbing the tallest mountain in Argentina. The perfect storm hit, and um, he, he summited the mountain. And then on his way down, because of the storm, and they were stuck for hours in one of the worst storms they said they've ever seen uh, in Argentina on this mountain, John lost his life. And so the funeral will be tomorrow morning at, I think, 10.30 at West Point. They'll be burying him uh, on the campus there at West Point with all sorts of military honor and flyovers. Uh, I understand men like Mike Pompeo and other people that were a part of this class will be there by the hundreds. And so pray for me. They've asked that we would uh, speak and uh, uh, preach the gospel tomorrow. And uh, it's a real honor and it's a real thrill. My heart is heavy because you always go, God, why do the good people sometimes die? Why do we sometimes lose people like this? How many sometimes wonder that? And so pray for me, and I'm believing God that he's going to save many people tomorrow and that John Magnus' life will be honored. Pray for his wife, Angie, just an amazing man of God, just an amazing story of, of God's grace on a man and how he lived life to the fullest. I walked into his office and just was looking at some of the things that he's done in his career, and it was just stellar. He was one of the helicopter pilots in Mogadishu during the Black Hawk Down crisis. When I walked into his office and just looking at journals, journals of daily prayers and and, and daily events, he had journals by the dozens of love letters that he sent to his wife every day. And I went, Lori, I am so sorry. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I went home and I said, I quit. But I did write her a love letter on my iPad. I said, I'm so sorry, I love you. And um, I'm trying. Come on, somebody. How many know you? Just try. Just try. Turn to somebody next to you and just say, I'm trying. I'm trying. Now turn to your spouse and say, forgive me. I'm sorry. (laughs) So you didn't turn to them the first time. You know what I'm talking about. You get around great people. And when you get around great people, you just have something in you that says, it's time for me to step up. And when we talk about what we're talking about in the sermon, in the series that we're calling, it is finished. We're talking about the ultimate great one. And of course, the ultimate man who was God in flesh, Jesus and we're going to be celebrating, of course, his triumphant over death in two weeks, Easter. And I want to make sure that you get your cards on your way out. These are invite cards. Let's fill this place up beginning Friday night and, of course, Saturday and Sunday, multiple services at our campuses. And so let's believe God for the greatest harvest we've ever seen at Easter. And then also next weekend for the conclusion of our series, Chris Kane is going to be with us 
for our next weekend services, so you will not want to miss next weekend. And uh, if you know Chris, of course, longtime family of this church, Chris and Nick, and uh, so she'll be concluding our series. But when you think about, of course, the words that Jesus said in John chapter 19 and verse 30, when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. One theologian would say that right before he would declare the greatest word ever spoken, he wanted to moist his lips and he didn't care what it was. And what he declared was to tell us die. It is finished. And when you think about the greatness of Christ, he didn't say it's finally over. He didn't say finally or I'm done or the end or see ya, I'm out of here. No, but what he was declaring in Tetelestai is the same word that they would use when they found that perfect lamb as much as they could in the Old Testament. And the priest, after 10 days of examining lambs, would find the one that was the best to present at Passover. And he would say, this is perfect. And what Jesus was saying, his last words was perfect. Perfect. Come on, say the word perfect. How many know Jesus was perfect? Perfect. Perfect lamb spotless, without blemish. He was also declaring in that word, tetelestai, accomplished, fulfilled, complete. There's two ways that you're going to leave this world. And if you will, there's going to be those that just kind of, they just kind of fade off. They just, honestly, they just sink. They just kind of just descend. They just slide and those kind of people, they're the first kind of people that have honestly a question mark over their life. A question mark. First of all, a question about where will they spend eternity. There are people that literally go to heaven or go to, to eternity wondering if they're going to heaven and they're not quite sure. They're not really aware of, of the salvation that was offered in Christ. They can't really say for sure that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They wish, they hope, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. And knowing Christ, knowing Him as your personal Lord and Savior, is to know that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not a wish. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. You're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. There are people that die not really aware in fact, they die with that question mark. Or then there are those who don't just, if you will, sink off, but like Jesus, he lifted off. And when he said to Telestai, there was a launch. It was complete. It was perfect. And of course, what he was declaring with passion and with his life, he says, I have come and I have finished in John 4, 34, he said, my food was to do the will of him and he who sent me, the one who sent me, I've come and that was my energy, that was my life, that was my strength, that was my, that was my very being. What's your being? What's your reason? What's your, what's your purpose? And what Jesus brings it all down to is to do the will of him who sent me. To live for my creator, to live for the one who gave me this breath, to live for the one who gave me this heart. And I know that that book has impacted millions of people being the purpose-driven life. And people say, Pastor John, I just don't know what my purpose is. John 4, 34. I'd love to be able to tell you that I know what your purpose is. But here's what Jesus said. My food or my purpose is to do the will of him who sent me. That requires you to engage. That requires you to lean in. That requires you to give up something, to just say, okay, Lord, talk to me. And he says to accomplish his work. I was looking at in preparation for tomorrow's funeral, and this will lead us into what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we covered the thorns. We covered the thorns that Jesus took in his brow and of course, that was to mock him during that time by the soldiers and those that were there. But it was also Christ was taking our thought life. How many are thankful that we have the thoughts of Christ? And he cleanses us and he washes us. And, and we don't have to think. The Bible says we have now the mind of Christ. 
And set up today, I want to talk about the nails. I want to talk about what you and I are going to have to have in us. And that is, and this is going to be my theme for today. We're going to have to have some endurance. And when I say endurance, I'm going to talk about as nails have endurance. As, as nails have to be hard. As nails require something more than just than just a softness to it. It's going to have to have a character. It's going to have the integrity to it. We're going to be talking about the nails that Jesus was not afraid to touch. But I'm also going to be talking about how you and I, in that same way, are going to have to to fulfill the call, to fulfill fulfill what the Lord has called us to. You and I are going to have to to make some hard decisions. This This is the prayer of the cadets at West Point. These are just some of the words out of this lengthy prayer. Make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. And never to be content with half-truth when the whole can be won. I want to say that again. Make us to choose, Lord, the harder right instead of the easier wrong. How many know it's harder sometimes to go the right way than the wrong way? That sometimes, in fact, not not sometimes, all the time in this world. You're going to have to choose. Am I going to do what's easy? Am I going to do what's convenient? Am I going to do what is comfortable? Or am I going to do what is right? Am I going to do what is not easy? It's not comfortable. It's hard. But it's true. Lord, speak to us today, and Lord, I pray that you would create in us, create in us the same spirit, Lord, the same heart that you had going all the way to the cross, offering your body. Lord, may we in that same mindset, God, not be afraid of what nails may be in front of us. Give us all the courage today. Would you put within us loyalty, nobility? And Lord, would you even right now, I pray, speak to us. I I don't want any compromise in my life so I can bring you glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen and amen. Death is never easy. I don't care how long you've been prepared for it. I don't care how long you're prepared for that loved one or or that friend that you know is about to die. When it happens, it's hard. The truth is, when it comes to not just death, but when it comes to following Christ, it's not easy. In fact, Christ commands us. We are are to follow him. In fact, let's look at a couple of these scriptures in 2 Corinthians. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul makes this statement to the Corinthian church. He says, I'm always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. Pastor Joe, I don't want to talk about the dying of Jesus. I want to talk about the life of Jesus. I want to talk about the miraculous Jesus. I want to talk about the easy Jesus. I want to talk about the Jesus that doesn't allow suffering or even permit some things that happen in our world like we've seen even these last couple of days in Mississippi. I don't believe God is the God of tornadoes. I believe we live in a fallen world. I don't believe God went, you know what, I'm really mad at Amory, Mississippi. I'm really mad at that particular region. Let's just blow up some people. I don't believe God does that. When somebody says to me, Pastor Joe, God ordered that tornado. I'd like to see him order tornadoes where tornadoes never happened. That's what I want to see. When somebody says, oh, he ordered a hurricane and it hit New Orleans. Well, the interesting thing is that it might have hit New Orleans, but it missed Bourbon Street. It didn't even flood back in the day. So I don't believe that God is the God who gets mad and starts throwing houses and cars around. I do believe that he has to rebuke winds and waves. And I believe what he was saying is Jim was even giving us in that encouragement during our prayer time, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth there is chaos and confusion and turmoil and death. And we bring the kingdom into this world. In fact, can we just pray for those in Mississippi at this time? Father, we pray for this region, across that northern area, and Lord, across even Alabama today, that we're hearing about other situations. 
And Lord, I don't know how to do it. I don't know, God, I know in my own power. I, I, I am so overwhelmed when we see these kind of things happen. But Lord, you commanded the winds and the waves to obey you. And Lord, we pray right now that you would even cease these storms. But Lord, we're praying more than anything for the people, for the comfort of the Holy Spirit to be upon them and upon that region and upon those that have lost life and their families and everything. The God of comfort, the God of peace be with them in Jesus' name. And everybody said. So what Paul goes on to say, he goes, I'm, I'm caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. It requires nails, required wood. It's nothing easy. And he goes, for this reason, so that, what? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our, what? In our bodies. Paul says, it's like I have to carry on my back a dead man, or I have been called into this life with Christ as an apostle, but I think more than just saying it in his particular endeavor, I think he was saying to all of us as disciples that when you come into Christ, what does Jesus say that we have to do every day? You have to pick up your what? You have to pick up your cross every day. In every moment, you have to carry, like Paul says, it's like you have to carry about in your life the dying of Jesus. Lord, I don't want to die. There's a TikTok going around. I don't want to go to work today. 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 I don't want to die today. I don't want to die today. I want to live. Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I don't even know half the time either. <laughs> but you can't tell me that in the natural Paul wanted to wake up going, I got to die today. But guess what? It's not for emptiness. It's not for hopelessness. It's not for, for vanity. He goes, so that the life of Jesus may be what? Manifest. How many want to see the life of Jesus manifested? He wants, he wants his life to come out of you. But you're going to have to do what he says, and that is you're going to have to identify with my death. You're going to have to come into this life that requires a cross. Not, of course, for your sins. You can't atone for your sins. He did that once and for all on that tree. The Bible says he was the perfect lamb. He took our sins. He was the perfect high priest, but he was the lamb of God. But what God has given us is this order of this kingdom. And the order of the kingdom is that if you want my life, you got to embrace all of me, and all of me requires death. Which means you got to die to yourself. you got to die to what you want to say. How many had to say that this morning? Either get slapped or die right now. <laughs> Bible talks about our tongue is like a forest fire. And how we, in a moment, with one word, can literally set our lives on fire. Die before you declare. <laughs> this is what he's talking about. And he goes, the more that I enter into this death, the more that I understand his cross, the more that I begin to understand what Jesus meant when he said to tell us die. That came, though, after he embraced the nails, after he embraced the cross, after he told the disciples over and over, I have come to die. This is what they're going to do to me. And they go, no, we're not going to let this happen. He goes, get behind me, Satan. It's interesting that Peter, who would be the first preacher on the day of Pentecost, he would say, I'm not going to let you die. You're not going to the cross. And Jesus said, this is demonic what you say. This is demonic because he knew that the only way you and I would have eternal life would be his death and his resurrection. But secondly, what Peter was wanting to not have as a part of his walk with God is any kind of death. 
The Bible talks about in the last days, the church is going to not want death. The Bible talks about in the last days, the church is going to give itself to preachers and teachers who are only going to say anything that makes it easy and comfortable and that will tickle your ear and it will make you feel good, but it's full of the devil. See, what Peter wanted to alleviate was anything that was hard. And Jesus said, that's demonic. I want you to know this because this is important for us as a church. This is important for you as a believer to grasp the whole gospel. And the whole gospel, yes, it is his life that he has given us. Yes, it is his forgiveness. Yes, it is his atonement. Yes, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yes, I am his son. Yes, you are his son or his daughter. Yes, you are secure. Yes, you have been saved. Yes, you have been redeemed. Yes, you have been forgiven. It's finished. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. But what happens all of a sudden when you find yourself walking through something that is like something dead around you? What begins to happen when, like Paul says, it's like I have the body of Christ. I have the dying of Jesus. And Paul says, I know this is not in vain. This is how God works. This is the life of God. This is the mind of God. I really do believe that this is where a lot of people, when it comes to their own personal salvation, really don't know salvation. They know church, or they know systems of church. They know services, but they miss Christ. How many want to be better at Christ than just doing church? I, 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 listen, we, we've, got to, we've got to come to this place as we see our world and what it, it is now. When all of a sudden we're facing what we're facing, we've got to know Christ. We've got to know Him and Him crucified. So I want to give some thoughts and deeper thoughts as it relates to, to what Christ came to do. And of course, in those words, to tell us that He was declaring future, He was declaring hope, He was declaring what He came to do, and that is to destroy the works of the devil, to remove the stain of shame and guilt and and to take from the power of Satan, to take his power and to give it back to, of course, to the kingdom of God. Though we don't see all things yet submitted to his feet, but there is that day. He came to pay. He came to cancel. He came to accomplish. He came to, to finish. But it was more than a, more than a feeling. It was more than just thoughts. He came to demonstrate. And this is what Paul was bringing it back to 2 Corinthians. He goes, this thing is in my body. This is not just in my theory. This is, this is full on when it means to walk with God. It means it's, it's, there's no separation from your body and your spirit. There's no just saying, well, that bad hand. Now, this thing gets into our, our body. How many know it's, talk is what? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Or another one, finish this one. Actions speak louder than words. Or another one, don't just say you love me, but, but show me. And what the Christ on that cross shows us is more than just a thought. It's, it's more than a sentiment. It's a demonstration. It's a display. And what it was, was an act of taking responsibility. He was taking responsibility for the sins of the world. He was taking responsibility for you. So when Paul goes back and goes and just bring that context, he goes, I carry this dying of Jesus so that the life of Christ may be manifested. What Paul is saying is, I'm willing to take responsibility for a world. I'm willing to take responsibility as Christ calls me to follow him. And to be like him and to be acquainted with him, not just in his life, but in his death. So that I can have this, this partaking of responsibility. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. The Bible says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died 
for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for the righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Christ died. He died. He offered his body. He offered his head. He offered his back. And of course, we know he offered his hands and his feet. And I really want you to get this. It wasn't tender. It wasn't light. It wasn't cautious. It wasn't casual. But it was the week of his passion. It was the week of why he came. It was with conviction. And he wasn't concerned with his life. He came to lay down his life. He didn't want the easy way. He wanted the hard way. Because he knew the hard ways in this world, the truthful way. I want you to get this into your own spirit. Do you want the truthful way or do you want the world's way? The Bible says this world lies in error. This world lies in untruths. And you are countering this world when you come to Christ. You are literally going against everything about this world. Everything in this world is counter to the kingdom of God. It's just the way it works. And that's why he goes, I know now when I see this dying, I see this cross, it actually presents life like Christ giving his life on the cross presented for us eternal life. And this is the image. This is the picture of Christ. And so often we see a Christ that is so sympathetic. And to be honest with you, when we see the images and the views and the perceptions of Christ, he's, he's soft, he's, he's fragile. And then many people go, why trust in him? And I think that they've missed the view. They've missed the image of Christ. He's not just sympathetic. He's not just a man that has come to sympathize with us. He's come to set us free. He, he came down to deal damage to the devil. Now you see where I'm going with this nail. Because I do believe that in the days that are ahead, you're not going to be able to make it being soft. You're going to have to endure hardness. I'm going to insert a little commentary. We're losing a whole generation of boys. And we're going to lose a whole generation of men to come because we've made boys soft. And we're making a generation that is soft. And we're allowing genders to just self-identify. And I'm just here to tell you, I say this with sympathy and with grace, but I say this without any apology. That when we lose the next generation, and especially in the next generation of males, this, in my opinion, is probably the greatest attack that Satan wants to impose upon this world today. And for the life of me, we're watching on Women's Day non-women being celebrated. And for... Like, women, what are you? Some of you are like, oh, I may stay for the second service. <laughs> I don't have that much time <laughs> getting it out now. But I'm laying some theological pictures of Christ that he came. He came in this man. He came to show us manhood. He shows us what men are. Even in the Church of England and with some of the movements in, in the UK, they have now made God genderless and they have said that God is not a male. Oh, I understand like a mother hen, Jesus said, I wish I could gather you like chicks. We do, do know that God created mothers. We do know that there's, a, there's that nurturing side of God. But the scriptures don't give us indication that he's a mom. Though moms are tougher sometimes than dads, worldly speaking. He was all man. And it was the man that brings identity. It's the father that brings identity. 
It's the Father that has to speak. And of course, we understand that in this world, we don't always have homes with fathers and dads. We understand that God is the Father to those without a father. He's a husband to those without a husband. But he came not to just give sentiment. And of course, it's popular today to see this side of Jesus that is sympathetic and sensitive and and soft-hearted. But in the end, it makes for a soft, sloppy society. And when you think that Jesus is just this sympathetic God what will end up happening is you begin to be sympathetic to sin. And what we end up seeing in our world today is a church that begins to, instead of speaking to the age, we start speaking from the age. And the church becomes an echo. And we're no longer salt. We're just sand. And what did Jesus say? When you lose your saltiness, you become sand, trampled, walked on, overlooked by man. How many know the church is not called to be sand? We're called to be salt with grace, with truth, but with mercy. We speak the truth. I know this might be a little theological for you today. I know that it might have to cause you to think a little bit today. But I'd rather preach to a thinking church. Than, and it's important that you think. It's important that you have thoughts. you said that to your kids, haven't you? What are you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. What were you thinking? I was a little boy, and I've told the story. I was a little boy, about seven years old, and I went to a fireworks party with my brother he took me and he said now you're not allowed to shoot any fireworks this was in New Orleans Louisiana on the river literally on the levee and he said you're not to shoot fireworks these fireworks belong to the family and there was hundreds of people there he goes I'm going to go to the store I'll be right back and I will bring fireworks you don't leave a seven-year-old boy by himself at a fireworks party (laughs) and so I thought well this is my opportunity And I went to where all the fireworks were leaning up and were stored underneath, if you will, the porch of this big house and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of fireworks. And I I bent down to just get a few of the bottle works, not knowing that in my other hand was the punk, of course. And and so as I'm somehow, while I'm getting the fireworks, I'm lighting fireworks. (laughs) It was one of the greatest fireworks display. (laughs) True story. Half the house burned down. I took off running, and then I peeled back around and ran with the rest of the people going, what is going on in this place? (laughs) And guess what I was saying at seven years old? What were they thinking? What were they thinking by allowing a seven-year-old to have access to the fire? What were they thinking with all the fireworks leaned up underneath this house? What are they thinking? My brother came back about 20 minutes later. Fire trucks, and now the fire's been put out. And he just looks at me. (laughs) I went. (laughs) He goes, what were you thinking? I don't think. I'm seven. You think about burning things down when you're seven. But not when you're 77 or 37, or 17, begin to think. Guys, there's a, there's a life that you and I have to take responsibility for. And as Christ came to this world, he offers us a pattern, a picture, and of course, exec, uh, the book of Exodus 15 and verse 3 tells us the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. That word there means he's a man of war. And he knows that this war, it's a spiritual war. He knows that this world is in warfare. And he said, I have come down to do warfare. I have come to display more than 
than just thoughts and, and more than just a service, if you will. But I've come to, to embrace the way to freedom. And that's doing hard things. That's touching hard things. And I want you to see today, as even the David story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David said to Saul, a type and a picture, of course, of Christ to the world. David said, let no man's heart fail on account of, of this Goliath. Your servant will go and I'm going to fight this Philistine. Then Saul said, as a type of picture of the church as well. You can't do this. You can't fight. You're but a young person. While he has been a warrior from his whole youth, but David said, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued him from his mouth, and he rose up against me, and I seized him by the beard, and I struck him, and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. And we know through what was just a small, simple, if you will, pouch of rocks, God delivers Israel. From Goliath, Jonathan puts, watch this, all of his soul, not into Saul, his father, but in David who delivered him. The Bible says in the next chapter 18 of that first Samuel account, after the death of Goliath, the heart of Jonathan is knitted to the soul of David. Why? Why did Jonathan's heart become knit or one with this deliverer, with this Savior, David? Because he saw a father who never did anything hard. He took the easy way out. And David said, as I walk out, I'm going to walk this out in Christ. Jonathan sees, he sees in David Christ. And he goes, I'm going to believe in this kind of man. You know why the world doesn't believe often in Christ? They haven't seen the real Christ. In people who know how to carry the body of Jesus or the dying of Jesus in reality. Oh, they hear preachers and preachiness and our little pale, oftentimes, praise the Lord. And they go, we're looking for somebody that's not afraid of Goliath. Or again, let's come back to it. We're not afraid of nails. The Bible tells us in Psalm 22, verse 16, Jesus said, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. And it eventually, he says, it led to the piercing of my hands and my feet. Psalm 22 is the psalm that many theologians believe that Jesus quoted on his way to the cross. Read Psalm 22 as your homework today, right before you take your afternoon nap. Because it is the psalm of what describes Jesus in his being surrounded by dogs, by being surrounded by hate, by being surrounded by a world that didn't want him. And a world that we could go on and on. You can read the whole chapter in just a few minutes. He says, but God, I offered my hands. I offered my feet to the piercing. How many are thankful? We were those that were like the band of evildoers. But he knew if he didn't die, you and I couldn't live. If he didn't give his hands to the piercing... 
He knew that there would not be a salvation. And so in John chapter 20, I'm about to land, and he says in John chapter 20, Thomas, one of the 12, called P. Diddy, said, that's what it says, called Didymus, that's P. Diddy in the Greek. You guys didn't know one of the rappers was a disciple. Was not with them when Jesus came. So one of the disciples, so the other disciples was saying to him, we saw the Lord, and he said, I won't believe it until what? Until I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, we don't find anywhere in the Gospels where nails went into the hands of Jesus. It just says he was crucified. But here you actually find the only place where it actually does give us some description that his hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. And you know what Thomas wanted? You know what a doubting Thomas wanted? Was reality. Just wanted to see the real Christ. And you know what this world wants to see today? You know what our doubting world wants to see? Real Christ. And guess who that shows up in? You. You. Me. God. I don't want to die today. No, I don't want to die today. I want to speak today. I want to vent today. I want to argue today. I want to get mad today. But God says, there's no life there. Joe, just give me your hands. Give me your feet. Give me your body. It belongs to me. And in that later on story, we know that when Jesus appears, he goes, Thomas P. Diddy, aren't you the one that said, show me the nail prints and show me the side? And he says, here am I. And the Bible says he believed. He came to faith because he saw the reality of Christ. First Peter chapter 2, the team can come. And First Peter chapter 2, the worship team that is. I don't want all the teams to come, just the worship team. For you have been called. Now, guys, please, if you don't hear and didn't hear a word, hear this. First Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin or was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but in kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. You have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered. As Christ laid his life down, the Bible says we have been set free from sin. As a result, you no longer continue to live in sin. No longer does any deceit come out of your mouth. And he says, as Christ accomplished this for us in his body. This is how it works for you. When you say, I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of living in rebellion. I'm tired of running away from God. God says, offer me everything. Give it to me. Trust me. Let me have you. And when you do that, when you lay your life, as he says, in his hands, the Bible says you were once straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. How many need a shepherd? I need a shepherd. And I need a guardian. And he goes, when you return to Christ, when you say, Christ, it's all yours, and lay your life on that cross. Not for the atonement of, for the sins of the world, but just to trust. It's trust. He shows up as a shepherd and as a guardian of your soul. Nails are hard. A couple of thoughts. Nails are hard. It's hard. But that's why the Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier. Life is hard. Doing right is hard. 
It's hard. Some of you are going to have to make some hard decisions this week. Some of you are in a relationship with a boy or with a girl or with a man or with a woman. Or maybe it's something that you know it's sinful. You know if it was to be exposed, it's going to bring the end of many things in your life. It's hard. But give it to God. Number two, nails are deep. Nails go deep. And you know what the Lord wants to do with all of us? He wants to take us deeper. You know what the Bible tells us? That seeds go into the soil, but there's only 25% of those seeds become fruitful. Why? Because only 25% have depth. They go deep enough to withstand not just the rock or the demonic attacks or the cares of this world that choke it out and the riches, but they go deep enough in the Word of God that says, Lord, I'm here for the long haul. How many want to go all the way with Christ? Number three, nails are sharp. Nails are sharp. They're sharp. Cuts, it divides. Goes and penetrates. So that what? By the sharpness of that nail and by the penetration of that nail into that wall, things can be hung. Things can remain. And then lastly, nails are necessary. It's the last one I want to say. It's necessary. For it was discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with a son. For what son is there from whom his father does not discipline? In other words, it was for hardness. Watch this. That word there means in Hebrews chapter 12. He says that word discipline means it's hard. But I'm trying to make you a son and a daughter that is conformed into my likeness and my image. So that in the days to come, when, not if, the winds blow and beat against the house. For great will be the storms the Bible talks about. Is your house going to be built on the what? Is it going to be built on the sand? The shifting light sand of the world? Or is it going to be built on the solidness and the hardness of the rock of God? Can we stand to our feet today? I'm going to ask as much as possible. I, 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 want, to, I want to lock in for just a moment. I want you to just, if you could, and if you're comfortable, just, would you just close yourself off from the people around you at this moment? Don't be thinking about Dell match play. Don't be thinking about University of Texas basketball or LSU women's basketball tonight. I know how all that works. But I want you to just for a moment be grateful for the nails that Jesus did not run from. I want you to be grateful for the cross that he did not avoid for you and for me. And I want you to think about how Jesus did not come off that cross for the Bible says... They tempted him and they said, if you come down off that cross, we will believe in you. And Jesus would not perform that what would have been a miracle. Because guess what? He saw you and he saw me. And he said, I have to die for her. I have to die for him. He endured the hardness. He endured the shame. He endured the attacks. He offered his hands and his feet, Psalm 22. But the next verse tells us, oh, but they didn't break my bones. To fulfill the scripture, God doesn't look like he's in this, but oh, he's in it because they couldn't break one of my bones to fulfill the plan of God. You might feel like your hands and your feet are being offered right now to death and to evil dogs and evil doers. But I want you to know that next verse tells us, yeah, yeah, but I'm in the middle of it. I got you. Here's the second picture I want you to have even as we're standing here today. It's not just thinking about what Christ did. But as you are understanding of what he did for you in heaven and as you know that he has seated you in heavenly places, don't just be acquainted with him in glory, be acquainted with him on this planet. 
so that God can show himself through you. How many want people to come to Christ through your life? Let me see your hand. It won't be by your complaining or your bitterness or your anger. It'll be by your trusting Christ through all circumstances and all situations. Can we pray this prayer out loud, Lord Jesus? I want my life and my home to be built on the rock. I come to you today, Jesus. You are my rock. And nothing shall move me. Because nothing could move you. And as Jonathan was knitted to David, I knit my soul to you my champion, my savior, my deliverer, my shepherd, my guide. Thank you for warring for me when no one else would. Thank you for finding me when no one else would. Thank you for forgiving me could he's here church our David is Jesus and the Bible says the world mocks this cross and the Bible says this world mocks this pathetic weapon called the cross the world sees it as a loss God says oh I see it as a victory and that little pouch with those five smooth stones the world would have said like Goliath oh what are you coming out here with and David knew he knew that God had a plan and a purpose through what was weak he would make strong and when you're weak he makes himself strong in Jesus name One more time, I want us to just close with this song that we sang earlier. And I want us to ask God to just do a new work in our lives. Come on, let's tell them. Let's make this our declaration. Oh God, I need you. Five o'clock service. We love you guys. Come on.